Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This is an exciting month. I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Ashley Dalen. I'm a high school pastor here at Salem Alliance Church, and it is a complete honor to get to be here with you this morning. Um, But it looks like the fruit snack people are on it. It is Family Gathers Month, which means fruit snacks. So those are coming. You're getting your 10 o'clock morning dose of sugar. Get you going. So as those come by, feel free to grab one and pass it on. Last week for Family Gathers, we passed out capes. And I'm curious if anybody in here is wearing their cape today. Did anybody come back wearing their cape? Are there any caped crusaders? Yeah, wave it up there. I see you. You look awesome. Are there any capes in the room? Superheroes? Right there? Way to go, girl. You're going to rock the world. Yeah, super fun. Make sure you take your capes and your family and get pictures at the photo booth. I love that. I love having everyone together for Family Gathers Month. I just think it's fun. Last week, my husband and I were sitting in the five o'clock service over here, and this little girl behind us in the middle of Rod's talk yells out, he's sitting on my crayons! <laughs> and we just started like giggling, and, um, and I'm assuming a parent maybe grabbed a sibling and walked out, because a couple of seconds later she goes, now I have all the crayons to myself. <laughs> And I just thought, this is so fun. I love the liveliness of having us all together in one room. And so I just want to say that if you're a parent in this room, and at some point during this talk or any talk during this month, if your kid yells something out or decides to do a dance routine in the aisle, hey, no worries. You guys are doing a great job parenting, and it's really fun to have them in here. I truly enjoy this month. A little bit about me, since I'm a new face up here. Um, I've been on staff here at Salem Alliance Church for five years. I can tell you as someone who's behind the curtain, this is an incredibly healthy community to be a part of. And it's fun to be on staff here and I enjoy the people I work with and I love being a part of this family. It has truly been a blessing in my life. Um, I'm married, I'm married to the most genuine, intelligent, and kind man I've ever met named Kyle, supporting me in the front row. Um, He truly is the greatest blessing and gift God has given me. We don't have any kids. People tell me I'll say that about my kids once I have them, but we don't have any yet, so he gets to keep the title of greatest gift. Um, And we have no dogs or pets or anything. It's just him and I living life. So, um, and then lastly, I work with high school and middle school students. And I truly think that high schoolers and middle schoolers are some of the coolest people on the planet. I love working with them. If you're a high schooler or a middle schooler, will you just raise your hand? Yeah. You guys are awesome and you are gonna change the world. Give them a high five if you're near one of them. They're truly great people. I absolutely love working with them. We have the best conversations and they are just the, I just love them. And that pretty much sums me up. Like I said today, I consider it a complete honor to get to be up here today and to get to teach and learn from the word with you today. So I'd love to start in just prayer. So if you would just bow your heads with me. Let's start at the feet of the Father. Father, thanks for loving us. It is because of this love that we can trust you to speak to our hearts and our minds today, God. May you get the glory from what's said. Amen. 
Last week, Rod did a great job of kicking off our series, talking about kind of the overall characteristic traits that we see in superheroes. And so he mentioned a ton of things. One of them was the masks that superheroes wear and kind of questioned us, what are the masks that we wear? And he did a great job kicking that off. But today, I'm so excited to talk about my favorite superhero, which is Batman. Raise your hand if Batman's your favorite superhero. Okay, well, okay, not very many hands, but statistics show, <laughs> statistics are always right, <laughs> that Batman is generally people's favorite superhero. I wanna show you the beginning of a story of a boy named Miles, who Batman is his favorite superhero. So if you'd turn your attention to the screen. Miles always liked all superheroes, but he always kind of comes back to Batman. Natalie called screaming crying and said Miles has leukemia. One of his doctors told us that with his disease they just become like a fighter. They fight for life. And so I think he sees the good versus evil battle in superheroes. We waited until the end of treatment to make his wish. That I want to be the real Batman was his exact wish. Because he's my favorite superhero. How are you going to be the real Batman? We're going to finish Miles' story a little bit later. But I think we're drawn to superheroes because they're just that. They're heroes. And I love when Miles says, I want to be the real Batman. I think Batman feels more attainable than other superheroes because he has no superpowers. <laughs> That's why. Kids, pull out your crayons. Here's all Batman has going for him. I'll give you the tips right now. Batman is wealthy, which to some of us that may feel like a superpower. He's intelligent. He's creative and he has martial arts training. I'll tell you now, kids, if you can do those four things, you can be Batman, you can be a superhero. He doesn't fly, he's not the Hulk, he's just a regular guy, but he goes out and he makes a difference. And that's why I think we're drawn to Batman. That's what I love about Batman. I also love his story because it's his story that makes him a superhero. Now, Batman's been around for a long time, so my guess is many of us know his story. But to recap it for you, Batman grows up, grows up as a young man, young little boy named Bruce Wayne. And he grows up in a very normal billionaire family, like I'm sure we all know. <laughs> Very normal growing up childhood, I'm sure. And one day he goes to an event with his family and when he comes out, they're approached by somebody who has needs, who is hurt, who is lost, who tries to rob his parents. And in the chaos of the moment, both, he loses both of his parents. We'll just leave it at that. And he becomes an orphan. Now, Batman obviously has experienced an extremely tragic event in his life. And he's faced with the question of what to do with this injustice that he's experienced and the realization that this injustice happens all the time within his city. And so as he's growing up, he continues to meditate on this. Man, his tragic event and the fact that he knows it continues to happen all the time. And so he decides that he's gonna take his billions of dollars, he's gonna create fascinating gadgets, an incredible suit that makes him a bat, <laughs> and a really cool car, and he's gonna go out every night and stand in the gap for people who are facing injustice. Now, here's what I like about Batman. 
Batman's motivation is never revenge. He doesn't go out because he's wanting to revenge what happened. What motivates Batman is the helplessness that he felt as a boy standing there watching injustice happen. And it is that feeling of helplessness that motivates Batman to go, I don't ever want anyone to feel that. And so I will go out every night and I will do my best to stand in the gap so that people don't have to feel that feeling of helplessness. Two years ago, I had the privilege of leading a high school missions trip to West Africa. And in West Africa, we went to this country called Mali. And in Mali, we went to the city called Kuchala. And in Kuchala, Christian and Missionary Alliance, that's our denomination, by the way, an incredible denomination. Christian and Missionary Alliance workers have been working in that city for a long time. And when the first missionaries got there and they began working, they realized that only one out of five kids would make it past the age of nine. And they go, this is totally crazy. Like this is a huge gap in this society. We have to do something about this. And so they raise money and they raise money and they raise money and they fundraise and we know how that goes, it takes forever. And God worked miracles and they got all the money and they built this hospital in Kuchala specifically for women and children. And so when I was there with the team, we got to go and we got to visit this hospital. And we got to do some cleaning tasks and we got to put on a play of the life of Joseph and that was really fun. And then we got a tour. And as we were getting a tour through the hospital, um, the international worker who was giving us the tour turned to me and said, hey, Ashley, you probably don't know this, but in Africa, hospitals only provide medical care. We provide nothing else. In order for our patients to eat, to get clean clothes, or any of their other needs, family members or someone from their tribe has to come and they have to bring those things to them. I thought, wow, that's so different from America. That's so different. And so as I walked around, I continued to look in rooms and wave at people and smile. And we got to hold the preemie babies that wouldn't even be there unless that hospital was there. And as I was walking around, I, I, I made eye contact with people. I don't speak the same language. And so I was intentional with, with looking in their eyes. And as I was looking in each of their eyes, I noticed just this look of helplessness. This look of, if someone doesn't come, then I don't get to eat. And if my aunt doesn't have time because she's taking care of all of the other kids, then I don't get clean clothes. And as I was reflecting on that experience, I thought to myself, I bet none of us in this room have probably ever been in that physical situation. But I thought to myself, but can't we all connect to that feeling of helplessness? That feeling of being fearful, of being afraid, of being alone, and being helpless, because I think we've all experienced that. But lucky for us, God saw our helplessness and he sent us help. He sent us help in the form of Jesus, who when his arms were stretched out and nailed to the cross for our sins and our lostness and our helplessness, his wingspan alone could cover the gap from the feet of helplessness that we stood at to the feet of the Father in heaven. And the second to the last thing that Jesus says in John chapter 19 is this. He says, it is finished. And I believe so strongly that when he said those words, he wasn't saying them in a defeated, bummed out tone, like, okay, I did it, it's finished. I believe that as he was standing on that cross for our helplessness, that he said, it is finished. 
My redemptive work is complete. The gap is filled. Every person in this room has a story just like Batman's because we've all experienced helplessness. But my hope is, is that all of us have also experienced the wholeness and the healing and the love that comes from what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. But is this the story that motivates your life? Because Batman's experience put him on mission. It changed his trajectory for the rest of his life in a very strong way. And my question is, does our story put us on mission? We have to stay rooted in the significance of the cross because I believe the second we minimize our story is the second that our mission becomes minimal. And I'll say that again. I firmly believe that the second we minimize our story is the second that our mission becomes minimal. Lucky for us, Jesus didn't just come to die for us. He came to show us how to live. He gave us something better than just a ticket. He came to show us how to live. I love this quote from Richard Rohr, who's a modern day author and Franciscan friar. And he says this, Jesus taught us how to live, not just how to go to heaven. And I love that. Through his words, actions, and death, Jesus was teaching us how to live the deeper life. And he's calling us to that. And so this morning, I'm excited to look at a passage in Luke where a man came to Jesus and said, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus said to him, I'm gonna show you how to live. So if you'd grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 25, that's where we're gonna be. It's on page 1,638 in the Pew Bible. And then for you kiddos, don't worry, on the screen is going to be a comic book style visual of the story that we're going to be reading, so feel free to follow along there. And adults, it's okay if you follow along there too. <laughs> the words are exactly the same on the screen as what we will be reading out of the scripture this morning. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. 
The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So there's an expert in the law and he comes to Jesus and says, how do I receive eternal life? How do I do that? And Jesus, obviously knowing he's an expert of the law, points him to the law. Well, what does the law say? And I'm assuming the man probably very confidently was like, well, I'll go straight to Deuteronomy 6.5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Because that was a part of the Shema, which was a, a Jewish prayer that they would recite daily. So he would have known that super well. He's feeling real confident. And then he goes, and Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds to him, do this and you will live. In the literary context where Jesus is talking face to face with this man, Jesus hasn't died yet. What he's saying to this man is this, love God and you will hear Jesus, come to him, respond to him and receive his benefits. But for us as the church, as we sit here today, knowing that Jesus has died on the cross and resurrected and knowing the entire narrative from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is also saying something bigger than just that. He's also saying that in God's kingdom, when we love God first and love others in light of that love, then we experience the full life. Then we experience the deeper life. He says, do this and you will live. And to me, those words seem very, very significant. And as I read those words, I think to myself, does my life reflect that? When I look back on my life, this last week, this last month, do I go, man, do my, are my priorities God first and others second? Is that how I'm living my life? Because I wanna live the deep life and I wanna live the full life. And so I think, we gotta ask ourselves that. Am I experiencing the deep and the full life? Or do things seem shallow and bitter right now? And if I'm in that shallow place, are my priorities off? Because Jesus says, do this and you will live. But the expert needs a little bit of clarification on the other's part. Struggling a little bit with the neighbors. At the time, there was this Jewish book called Sarach, and in Sarach, um, it basically said, you don't have to love sinners. And so he's kind of coming from this perspective of like, Jesus, you say love your neighbors, but like, give me a checklist. Like, who's in and who's out? Like, crazy Aunt Sally, where does she fall in the mix, you know? He's wanting a little bit more clarification on who is his neighbor. And I think some days, sometimes we still struggle with this idea. We struggle with the idea that my neighbor is someone who looks like me, who smells like me, who makes the same amount of money as me, who worships the same God as me, who's on the same Pokemon Go team as me. Those are my neighbors. And the people who don't look like me and don't smell like me and don't make the same amount of money as me and worship a different God than me and don't cheer for the Seahawks. Those are not my neighbors. That's the crew they're in. And I think we still have this mentality today. What gaps do I have to stand in and what gaps can I just ignore? 
I want to define for you what I mean when I say gap. I've said this a lot today and I'm going to keep saying it a lot, so I want to make sure you know what I mean. The definition is going to show up on the screen. I define a gap in someone's life as a moment, season, or journey of helplessness that manifests itself spiritually, physically, mentally, or emotionally. A gap in someone's life is a moment, season, or journey of helplessness that manifests itself in a lot of ways. And so what does that look like? What are examples of that in Salem, Oregon? Because we believe in a city at peace with God, right? That's what we're cheering for. That's what we're heading towards. And so we gotta understand what does that mean here? Here's what I think a gap, um, a moment gap could look like. Gap moments are, man, I can't pay my bills this month and I'm scared and I don't know what's gonna happen. Another gap moment could be, man, I'm working two jobs and I'm doing great at keeping myself afloat, but I don't have any friends and I don't have any community here. I am just so lonely. Those are gap moments. Gap seasons can look like maybe that friend that's navigating just a long and hard season of depression and it's dark and it's lonely and they don't know when it's gonna end and they're just in the thick of it. That could be a gap season. Another gap season could maybe be that aunt who's, in, who's knee deep in that divorce and she's just mourning the loss of a marriage that she thought was gonna look a different way. Those are seasons, those are gap seasons. Gap journeys can look like that family member who's maybe just been struggling with the same addiction for 20 years and it's just been a journey. And maybe a gap journey is that coworker who has everything going for them but doesn't have the hope of Christ. That's a gap journey. And those are just a few examples. And my guess is that every single one of us in this room can stop and think of a moment in our life that has been a gap moment. We're like, yeah, I've been there. I know that feeling of helplessness, that feeling of loneliness. And my guess is that there's probably some people in this room right now who are saying, man, I'm there right now. That's where I'm at. I'm in the thick of it, Ashley. I feel it. I'm in that season. And if that's you, I just want to say a couple quick things to you. The first thing is this. You're not alone. You're not alone. The second thing is this. If you're in the gap, tell someone so that they can choose to stand in the gap with you and go, I'm going to walk that with you. And the third thing is this. Even in the gap, whether it's a moment, season, or journey, God is good. And sometimes in those seasons, you have to say that over and over and over and over again. But it's true. I've been there so many times. God is still good, even in the gap. So I just want to say that to you if that's where you're at. So what is Jesus telling us about neighbors and gaps? Let's get back to the story. What is Jesus trying to tell us about neighbors and gaps? I think the first thing is this, that a neighbor moves towards the gaps, right? We see three people in this story. And the first two are religious people and they see the gap. They see a a beaten up guy on the side of the road and they go, whoa, I'm wearing dry clean only, stepping out, no way. They move away from that gap. Like this looks messy and I don't want messy in my life. And I I can be like that sometimes. Like I don't know, I don't know if I want to jump into that. That looks a little crazy. And they move away. And the Samaritan comes and he sees the gap and he goes, man, that looks a little bit messy. He goes, man, I'm gonna move towards that. And the Samaritan takes a step towards the man. Takeaway point number one, we must live with open eyes to see others, open ears to hear Holy Spirit, 
and willing feet to move towards the gap. Now, obviously, at the time of this story, Holy Spirit was not quite dwelling in the hearts of men, but now we have that gift. So I thought it was really important to tack that on. That in the midst of when we see a gap that we go, okay, God, is that mine to step towards? And when God goes, no, I got it covered, go, okay, I trust you. And when God goes, oh yeah, girl, that's yours, going, okay, here we go. We're going towards it. Super important that we live with open eyes to see others, open heart to the Holy Spirit, and willing feet to move towards the gaps. Many of you probably know the Kaupuiki family, um, but I have gotten a lot, a lot of years to just hang around them and be near them, and they're just incredible people. And a couple months ago, the Kaupuiki family heard about a gap in the Philippines. They heard about um, young people being taken advantage of. And Brandon, with his background in criminal justice, and Erica, with a heart for people, they go, God, is this a gap we're supposed to step into? And Holy Spirit said, yeah, this is. And so a month ago, they moved their entire family toward the gap to the Philippines to stand there on behalf of people who need to know the hope that can be found in Christ. And I know they're watching right now, and so I just wanna say we love you and we support you and we stand as a family with you. What an incredible example of people hearing about a gap and moving towards it. I love that family. The second thing I noticed in the Good Samaritan is all of the resources that he freely uses. I mean, think about it. This guy's like an open vending machine. You know, he's like, what do you need? Oil, got it. What do you need? Bandages, got it. He freely gives. He take, gives them his donkey. They go to the inn. He pays for it. I mean, that's crazy, right? Like, that's really crazy. But that's what he does. And so my second point is this. We must live with open hands, acknowledging that all of our resources belong to God. We must live our lives with open hands, acknowledging that all of our resources belong to God. I think of Esther, right? Esther hears about this gap. Her entire people group is gonna get slaughtered. Pretty big gap. She hears about it and she goes, okay, God, what are my resources? Her resource was the sphere of influence. She had the ear of the king and that was terrifying to use that resource, but she goes, God, I am gonna step in the gap for my people and I'm gonna use this, this resource and this of my sphere of influence. And so she does it. She talks to the king. It goes well with her and an entire genocide is stopped because she's willing to use the resource of her sphere of influence. We have so many resources, you guys. We have so many people that we know who could do incredible things. Our sphere of influence is great. We have skills, and I think one of our greatest resources is we have time. We must live with open hands with the resources that God has given us. Four and a half years ago, I was sitting at my desk with a really big smile on my face because I had just got engaged a month before and I was so excited and as I sat on my desk and saw my ring, I just thought, oh man, God, I'm so excited to get married. This is such a great season. Kyle and I had dated for three years and we just knew it was time <laughs> to get married. And so I sat there and I was so excited, but I had such a heavy heart at the same time because for the entire last month since we'd been engaged, everybody asks you two questions, especially if you're a girl. I don't know if guys get asked these same questions. The first question is this, let me see your ring. Guys probably don't get that question. <laughs> the second question is this, when are you getting married? And so for an entire month, person after person after person kept saying, when are you getting married, when are you getting married? 
And we kept going, oh, soon, oh, oh, hopefully soon, hopefully soon. Because what Kyle and I didn't realize when we got engaged was that when we pooled our resources, we only had $1,000. And I thought to myself, I've been in some weddings, and I just don't know if $1,000 is going to like help us do this. Maybe I can buy a dress for $1,000, and we'll get a steamboat captain or something you know, to do the ceremony. I don't know. And so I had this heavy heart because I was sitting at my desk going, oh, God, I'm, Kyle is such a gift to me. I know that this is where you're leading us. I'm so ready for this, but how are we gonna get married? How is this gonna work? And I remember saying, I know that this is not the biggest problem going on on earth right now. It's probably very insignificant compared to other things going on. But I remember just saying, God, I, man, I just trust you, help us out. So I left my desk, I walked upstairs to make some copies, ran into somebody, and of course with me, a five minute conversation turns into like a 25 minute conversation. Had a great conversation, walked back down to my office. I sit at my desk and there's an envelope that's just blank. And I'm like, okay, my admin assistant must have set something down for me to sign or whatever. So I sit down, I open it up, and it's a $100 bill. And it's a $100 bill. And it's a $100 bill. And there was 10 $100 bills. I know. It's the only time I've seen that many $100 bills. (laughs) And I go, Oh my goodness, and there's this little note inside that says, I just want you to have your special day. And it wasn't signed, and I had no clue who gave it to me. And I called Kyle and I said, we get to pick a date. We have $2,000, God's multiplied us. He must think this is enough. So we're getting married. And we picked a date and we had our wedding for $2,000. But here's what's so cool about that moment is I never knew who did it for me and I still don't. And to be honest, I don't even care. Because in that moment, I go, man, out of seven billion people in the world, God sees me. And out of seven billion people in the world, God sees my situation. Out of seven billion people in the world, holy smokes, God cares. He cares. And he's showing up. And it was such a significant moment for me to go, gosh, God, I can trust you. You care. Standing in the gap reminds people of who Jesus is because that is who Jesus is. He is someone who stands in the gap. And when we do that on his behalf in people's lives, we just point them straight to him. That's who they see. They don't see our face. They don't care about us. They see and they experience Jesus. And that is such a beautiful thing. God gets the glory when we stand in the gap because it's his glory to be gotten. The last thing I take away from the Good Samaritan is that he doesn't take on the responsibility of the gap, right? Like he takes care of the guy, he gets him to the inn, he pays, but he doesn't, he obviously has somewhere to go because he leaves and he doesn't just throw away his whole life and his plans going, oh, there's this gap and there's this person and I'm just gonna devote my whole life to this and this is all I'm gonna do. No, he goes and he, he does what God has asked him to do and he moves on. He trusts God to take care of the rest. And I think this is a big one. Point three, we must have a trusting heart that God alone can truly mend the gaps in people's lives and that he is at work. Do you really believe that? Do you trust that he is at work already in these gaps? He is already doing things in people's lives that we don't see. I love this Henry Nouwen quote because it, oh, it just brings me freedom. It says, it is Jesus who heals, not I. Jesus who speaks words of truth, not I. Jesus who is Lord, not I. Oh, how good to hear that. 
Because when I'm in the gap with someone and it's messy and I don't even know what's up and down and I don't know how to help this person, it's so nice to step back and go, God, you're, you're working in this and I can trust you, that I don't have to have all the answers, that I don't know exactly how to sort out this mess that I'm stepping into with this person, but that I know you're at work and I can trust you with it. And that's huge. The expert in the law asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? And what Jesus tells him is not who his neighbor is, but he tells him how to be a neighbor. I wanna finish today with the end of Miles' story. So if you'd turn your attention back to the screen. When we're going about doing a wish, it is whimsical and thinking about what would wow that child. and gives them a little bit of their childhood back that's been robbed. So we decided to turn San Francisco into Gotham City and have him have these capers with a full-size grown-up Batman so that he would have a buddy. One of our volunteers put into Facebook and Twitter and like wildfire, just like it exploded. The postings were from like all over the world. This little boy really struck a nerve. When I saw that face, I want to be a part of that. And everybody wondering, what can I do? There were predictions that we have tens of thousands of people. And we have people flying in to experience this. What do we get ourselves into? Well, this may be the feel-good story of the year. A boy's wish about to come true. A young leukemia patient is being given a chance to live out his dream to be a superhero. And I'm like, there's a lot of cops around, and he needs a car seat. I see massive thousands of people. I don't even know how to describe. Gotham City needs you, Bat Kid. gone viral with folks from all over the world cheering him on. Every actor who'd ever played Batman was tweeting, Adam West on line one. Okay, that's normal. Let me out! No! Way to go, Miles. Way to save Gotham. Hey, Believe it or not, they're dancing for you. He gave everybody license to just be a little absurd and live their little dreams for a little bit. Thank you. People were holding up signs saying, save us, Batman. In helping him to live this dream, we were saving ourselves. I love that story because thousands of people show up to stand in the gap for a little boy with leukemia. And it's like, why would thousands of people do that? It's because we all wanna be a part of something meaningful. We all wanna be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And that's a good thing because God created us that way. He put that in us to be a part of something. And so when God, when Jesus stood in the gap for us, He's saying, go and stand in the gap for others. Because when you stand in the gap for others, you become a part of someone else's story. And you become a part of something bigger than yourself and more meaningful than just living for yourself. And so my hope and my prayer is that in light of our story, that that would propel us on mission for others and for the gap. And so the question is, will you be the expert in the law or will you be the Samaritan? Will you live with eyes open to see others, with ears attentive to the Holy Spirit, with feet ready to move towards the gaps, hands open with resources, and with a heart that trusts that God is truly the only one who can mend the gap in people's lives? I'm gonna close us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I don't think we can say enough how grateful we are 
that you stood in the gap for us, that you saw each and every one of us and said, they're worth it. And I'm gonna hang on this cross because they're worth it. And so God, I just wanna say thank you. I wanna, I wanna live my life as a thanks to you, Lord. I wanna go out each day going, how can I show others the hope that I've experienced in you? And so God, I pray that you would set our hearts on fire and you'd set our eyes ablaze to see the people in our community who have gaps in their lives, whether it's gap moments or whether they're in a gap season or a gap journey, Lord, that you would give us merciful hearts and ready feet to hear your voice and to go, yes, God, I'm gonna move towards that. Thank you, God, for calling us to live a full life and a deeper life. In Jesus' name, amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.